One's from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing, we're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up, really. We got a hot podcast coming up. We got talk about Burt Kreischer gigs. And advice to comics how to deal with nervousness. My name's Dusty Slay. I'm Hannah Hogan. This is the The We're We're Having Having a Good Good Time Time podcast. All right, so here we are. Hannah is back. I'm back, baby. Hannah went on a long, long journey. Mm, I'm a road-weary traveler. And now she's back. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to get into that in a bit. But first, let's get into some hot current events. Uh, The hottest, if you ask me, around these parts. Monday, um, Alabama played Clemson. Uh, The Alabama Crimson Tide played the Clemson Tigers uh, for the national championship. Now, which seems like that's the always the two teams since I've moved down here. Well, Alabama is is almost always in the national championship. And up until this point, they had only lost one national championship that they had been in under the coach Nick Saban, and uh that was to Clemson. And then they lost again and lost in a fashion that I don't think anyone's seen Alabama lose in in a long time. They got handled they got a whooping yes yes they got they got handled and i'm not i am an alabama fan right but uh, i'm a special type of fan that that i don't feel so connected to any type of football team that it never ruins my day and i and people uh, get so upset with me a lot of times they go you you can't just pull for any team that you want and it's like they act like i'm they they say that uh i don't know what they call it they like i'm i'm uh like when you're riding uh, riding the coattails of something. What, what do they call that? Like yeah. a Weatherby friend? Yeah, right, right. Like I'm a fair weather fan. Fair weather. Right. And or it's like, Weatherby. No, it's like, it's like I'm not. Like I have the capacity to enjoy uh, several teams. You're bi-athletic. Right. I mean, it's like I like Auburn. I want to see Auburn do well. Auburn hasn't been doing well, but I still like them. That doesn't make me a fair weather fan. I don't wear a lot of gear. It's not like it'd be different if I put my hopes, my dreams into these football teams. If if Clemson won and then I took down my Clemson starter jacket and went out and wore it and pretended to be the biggest Clemson fan on the planet, that makes me a Fairweather fan. If I write on Facebook that I say, finally, Clemson Tigers beating Alabama, you know, look what we did. Yeah, you're only supporting the winners. Right. And no, uh, Dabo Sweeney, the coach for Clemson, played on the, I think it's the 96, 92 Alabama team when they beat the Miami Hurricanes for oh, the yeah, national that was championship. A great franchise. I love that. Yeah. And, uh, um, and Dabo Swinney was on that team. He's now the coach of the Clemson Tigers. And, uh, oh, devil. He's very exciting, Dabo. And I like Nick Saban too. So, uh, 
I was disappointed in the game because Alabama lost and they got beat real bad. But uh, still very fun. All a good time. and Well, I think, honestly, it had something to do probably with the mentality. I mean, I remember uh, Mr. Coach Saban was inter- interviewed before the game, and the guy asked him, you know, how do you approach this championship game? And Saban was like, well, it's just like any other game, really. You just have to go out there, and you just have to win. And, and he just kind of, you know, I don't even think he was hyped up enough for the championship because, quite frankly, he'd been there enough times. So at this point, it really was just some other game for him. But I think you got to go into this like this is all you got. Yeah, I agree. And I, but I think that Nick Saban's his philosophy is always trust the process and the results will follow, right? Mm. He's like you should be playing every game as if it's the championship. And I like that process. Just I like to take that philosophy and apply it to comedy, right? If you're doing an open mic, if you're doing a bar showcase, if you're doing a club or if you're doing a late night show, why are you not out there trying to be your very best every time? Yeah. That's what I say. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. When I first moved to Nashville, I would get booked at Zanies to do local showcases. And then I would come out and there would be, you know, 20, 30 people in the audience and Zanies seats 300. And that's a disappointing show, uh, especially if you've done sold out shows at Zanies. It's like the excitement of a sold out show is amazing. 30 people, the energy changes. So when people would come out there on stage, they would just complain about how small the audience was. Whereas I would come out there and I would go, well, I just moved to this town. This is the only club in this town. I want to get booked here. So I would go out, do my A material, be on my game, be hammering it every time. And I treated uh, 30 people like it was a sold out show. That's how I approach open mics. That's how I approach any show. Like, this is... Quite frankly, that's how you approach love, too. You've always given me 100% in our in our romantic relations. That's right. And I appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. And uh, because, you know, I mean, this this whole idea of, uh, of well, this doesn't matter as much, so I'm not going to give this my all, mm-hmm. you know? Even, you know, the Laughing Skull Festival this, this past year, which did a lot for me, uh, I had done three times. It would have been very easy for me to be like, oh, I've done this a bunch of times. It didn't do nothing for me. I'm just going to chill out. But no, I was like, you know what? I got an industry showcase here. There's important people out there. I'm going to I'm gonna jam this. Let me posit this to you, though. Let me just query you. Let me just question you with this. Uh, we both worked with this gentleman, Mr. Tom Rhodes. He's a comedian based out of Los Angeles currently. Uh, he he said something once that I thought was uh, pretty profound, and it was a uh, Bible verse, which was, don't throw your pearls to the swine. Now, have you ever been in the position where maybe it's a late-night crowd or a particularly unruly crowd that is perhaps uh, inducing a little bit of contempt you're having for them while you're up there on stage, and do you just decide, you know what, I'm not going to do this really fun bit for them because they're not into this other stuff and I don't want to, you know, waste this joke on people that just clearly aren't going to appreciate it. How do you how do you counter that? Well, I think you got obviously you have to adapt, right? You have to read the room. So, if you have a really long, well thought out bit and you're judging by the audience, you're like, "All right, this audience is not going to follow me on this bit." Then you go with something else. Mm. But you don't You don't throw in the towel and you don't go, ah, this audience doesn't matter, Mm. you know, and you especially, I know of some comics that have said things like, oh, I'm not going to give you guys my best jokes. You know what I mean? Like, because it'll be a bad audience. They're like, I'm not wasting material on you. 
I say, never do that. You never say something like that because you know what? There could be 12 people in that audience. 10 of them could hate you, but two of them could be like, oh, I really want to see this guy perform or I really want to see this girl perform. And you go up and you tell them that you're not going to waste your material on them. That's not very nice. You know what I mean? I'm all about I'm all about trying to bring that unruly crowd in to me. Yeah, you're trying to give them the whip. To where at the very beginning, they're like, we don't like this guy. But then by the end, I got him. Mm. And it doesn't always work. I mean, you know, those late crowds uh, can be rough. But I think you got to give it 110 every time. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I think it matters. I think it matters too, and that's why I said beautiful. Yeah, because, you know... It's, you know, I mean, I used to sell pesticides, right? And uh, It all comes down to pesticides. It always does. And it's like I would go in and I would work really, really, really hard building these displays. And then the competition would come in with more people than what I had and would tear down my displays and build their own in 15 minutes. Right? And we're not talking figuratively. Literally, they would tear down your displays. Right. I would tear down theirs too, but it would take me a lot longer because mm-hmm. I was by myself. And, they and you're had... a tender-hearted man, so I don't reckon you were tearing down a lot of stuff. You probably weren't doing them the way they were doing you. Not not until they really upset me, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like I would work really hard, and it would never pay off because my boss wouldn't see what I was doing. Nothing would happen, so it never paid off. So I really enjoy comedy. There's a payoff to comedy. There's a payoff with, you know, that audience is my competition in a sense, and they're out there trying to, my jokes are my displays, and uh, unruly audiences out there trying to tear down my displays. Mm. But I'm trying to build them. I'm trying to build displays. And I'm trying to win them over. I don't know if that was a good analogy. Yeah, you're a powerful architect, and I yeah. appreciate the metaphor. So. Uh, you're an engineer of jokes. Yeah. You're an engineer of a good time. Yeah. And and you know what? I mean, I, I just... You're a contractor of fun. Yeah. And we're going to do um, where we've been, where we're going a bit later. Uh, but first, we'd like to get... We'd like to do a little on the road segment. They're on the road again. Hen and Dusty are on the road again. Telling super funny jokes to all their friends. Hen and Dusty are on the road again. Yeah! And Hannah has been on the road for quite a bit. Yeah. Uh she went uh, to St. Louis, then to Kansas City. Well, I went to Iowa for New Year's Eve. But right? you went to St. Louis. Yeah. And then you went to Iowa. Yeah, yeah. But I, w- I went to St. Louis just to sleep. Okay. So I just, I don't like doing like like nine, ten hour drives in one day if I can avoid it. So I'll try to break up a drive. So I went to St. Louis on, I guess, December 30th. And then I drove to uh, Burlington, Iowa, which is on the Mississippi and I went and performed at the Catfish Bend Casino with Jimmy Pardo, and that was a really, really, really fun show. And we had a good time, and I always have a good time with Jimmy. Um, but something that happened, so I was checking into the Catfish Bend Casino in Burlington, and the lady checking me in, she's real nice, and she's like, oh, welcome to Burlington. Have you ever been here before? And I said, no, no, I'm not. And she's like, oh, we got a lot of stuff you should check out. I said, oh, yeah, what should I check out? And she's like, well, you go down there to Snake's Alley, Gypsies, Sin City. I was like, well, why don't I just get the hell out of your town? <laughs> <laughs> so her suggestions were Snake Alley, Gypsies, and Sin City. Yeah, those are all the tourist attractions of the town. 
And it's like, you know what? I can just see those in my nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> so, thanks, so, though. You did go to Snake Alley, though. I did. I, I, I drove there the next day. And, and what is Snake Alley? Snake Alley is purportedly, well, this is what the lady said. She said that it is the most crooked street in America. It was on uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, then a quick G- Google search told me that, in fact, there's a more crooked street in San Francisco. But so... The, it's it's just a really crooked, windy street that uh, some later observers noticed that it looked like a snake, and that's where it got its name. But uh, it goes down a hill, um, and it's an alley, so you, there's no uh, actual uh, cars that can go through it. And it's an old cobblestone uh, brick alley um, set between old Victorian 20th century homes. So it was fun, though. It was a good time. Yeah, good time, I had a really yeah. good time. I walked da- I walked down it, and I walked up it, and I just kind of looked at it, and I said, well, that's about that, then. That's all there is to yeah. do there. I experienced Snake's Alley. A lot of tourist attractions, I find, are that. You just go, and you look at them, and then yeah. you go, I've seen it. Yeah. And then if you want, you can take a million pictures that you'll never look at. Yeah. And then the other thing that I noticed about myself, because I was on the road, man, it felt like forever, but I guess I was only gone for a week. But I was gone, and I did a lot of traveling. I did like four or five days of traveling in a row. And uh, and so I was by myself uh, the whole time. And, you know, I'm having these sparse interactions with service people, and occasionally I'm answering my husband's calls, occasionally. Yeah. Um, Not everyone, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, though, I like being on my own. I kind of, uh, you know, I some people say introvert. I say I'm more of a recluse, more of a recluse. And I love just hibernating, getting in, getting into myself, being weird. But what happens well, is... I, I think that's yeah. what's good about our relationship. I think we both like that yeah. a bit. We both like kind of being on our own. Yeah, yeah. So I'm on my own, and, and it feels good at the time. I'm just, you know, reading some books, and I'm just writing. I'm just getting weird by myself, going for long, cold walks outside, you know, just doing things like that, drinking too much coffee. Um, but then, what you know, what I realize is, like, sometimes if you're on your own for too long, once you go back into civilization and try to immerse with the people, like, it, everything kind of, your whole perspective is weird. Like I ended up going to a open mic in Kansas City and I didn't know anyone, but I just showed up and I was just like, everyone just started talking to me and I didn't even know them. And there was just like all these people started talking to me like this, this guy started talking to me and he was just giving me really weird vibes. And then like, then this other girl, she came and sat beside me and she's real friendly, but she was just like, just talking to me about stuff. And, and I ended up leaving the mic that night and being like, man, Kansas City's got some really weird comics. But then I kind of like took a step back and I was like, oh, they were just having conversation. Yeah, they were just being nice to you. Yeah, they were just talking to me. And I have been so <laughs> removed from normal conversations and friendships <laughs> that every yeah. conversation to me struck me as peculiar. But it was just like, no, that's what happens when people are talking to you. And to be fair, uh, there are probably weird comics in every scene. In fact, there is going to be weird comics. So they very well could have been weird people that you talked to. But in, in real retrospect, they were all so nice and yeah. friendly. And I have nothing but nice things to say about uh, KC uh, Comics. KC has always been nice. Yeah, I, it's I got, a cool I got spot. people, uh, several people there I like. And yeah. uh, I've always I've always really enjoyed it. The, um, you know, uh, speaking of that, like Friday, 
the shows that I was doing, me and the feature, uh, who I'll bring up later when we do the where we've been, where we're going. Um, Can't wait. We um, we were talking because we hung out Saturday and watching some of the NFL games at a Buffalo Wild Wings in uh, Addison, Texas. And uh, we were talking that on Friday when we got to the show and really started doing our sets, that was when like we realized that, like, wow, this is really the first time I've really talked to people all day. <laughs> yeah. And now, like, because I was doing, like, 50 minutes a night. So 55, actually. And, uh, and I didn't really talk to anybody during the day on Friday. And then I get on stage, and now I'm suddenly, like, I'm talking for 55 minutes now. And I didn't have the energy. My energy wasn't there. I was very, like, reserved. And I was like, oh, I got to pick it up. I got to figure out how to get into this. Not that I wasn't having fun, but I had just been so silent. It's almost like I went cold vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're already kind of a low-energy, dry comedian. So if you drop even just a percentage, you pretty much don't have a pulse up there. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. And now let's go into food on the road. I said food on the road. Food on the road. All right. So I got to Addison. Uh, and I got a hotel with a kitchen, and which I love. If you give me a full fridge and a kitchen, I'm into it. The moment I got dropped off, I looked up grocery stores. There was a Whole Foods nearby. And if you've been tuning into the podcast, you know that I've been dying uh, because of the bad food that I've been eating. So Whole Foods is right up my alley. And the key to a Whole Foods is you don't go in there buying a bunch of meat and stuff like that. That's where you get real expensive. That's where the price really shoots up. You buy things like, you know, I bought some fruit and some yogurt and 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 I bought actually bought some cans of tuna. You can get really good tuna in there. I got some wraps, I got spinach, I bought things like that. I still spent a good bit of money because it's not cheap in there. But I took it would it's cheaper than what I would have spent if I ate out every day. I took it back to the hotel. And I just had that. I had smoothies. I took smoothie stuff with me. Um, and I just had all this stuff, and I was just ready to go. And I ate food except for the grilled chicken wrap that I had at Buffalo Wild Wing um, and then the salmon and quiche that I had at the club, which was delicious. Uh, I ate at my hotel, and it was great. And I felt good. My body felt good. I felt restored. I feel better every day. What he's saying, folks, is he had some powerful poops. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No, I feel uh, good. I feel better every day. And uh, Well, I thought you were going to talk a little bit about how you don't really do it anymore, but when we first met, you were working the road, uh, and you would have a whole box of hot plates and plates oh, that yeah. you would bring into a hotel. Well, yeah, I had a I had a box, a little Tupperware thing that I would take with me. It was pretty pretty good size. And yeah, inside I had a hot plate, I had pots and pans, and I had bowls and cups and all the all the utensils that I would need. As I would go along, I would be like, "Oh, I need this." And now I need this. So I would just get those things. And I had those in a thing and I kept that in the trunk of my car. So even if I were in a situation where I didn't have – most hotels will have a mini fridge in it. Some of them don't. And you just get a little cooler, put some ice in there. But I would have a setup so that I could still cook inside of my hotel. I mean and, – and especially if you're – you know, if you're at a ho- if you're just doing a Friday night, Saturday night show, it's, it's hard to – it doesn't seem worth it to bring all that stuff. But a lot of times you're at least booked from Thursday 
to Sunday. So you have a couple of full days in the hotel. I mean, I in Indianapolis a couple of times, I've cooked steaks in the hotel and just on my hot plate. And, I mean, <laughs> if you're a road comic, I mean, you almost have to view working the road like camping if you want to stay healthy. I mean, you just, you know, you got your camping supplies and you're ready to cook. You're just staying in a hotel, but you're – Unless you're Cliff Cash, who goes from uh, state park to state, national park to national park, uh, uh, doing comedy, uh, which is extreme. He loves it. I think apparently he has a uh, is a comic out of Wilmington. Apparently he has a an outside shower attached to his car now. Wow. Yeah, he goes. He's. I think he's. I don't know how many national parks he's seen, but that's his whole thing is to go do clubs and stay camping in national parks he would be a good guest yeah which that yeah he would be actually and uh we'll check with him on that because um yeah he does have an interesting travel thing he i mean because there there are a lot of like real road guys out there really doing it that i think is fun i mean they're they're the old kind of road comics but then there's like the new road comics like where where we're um we're trying to figure out ways to stay healthy, to stay entertained, and also, um, you know, do comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think that food is so important. What you're putting in your body is so important that you know you, you gotta you gotta stay on top of things. I mean, your body can go downhill fast if you don't feed it the right way. Now you have to also be uh, a little bit stealthy when you're bringing in a hot plate or some sort of full kitchen into a regular hotel room. You know, some hotels will have a no-smoking policy, and if they smell some tobacco or some sort of marijuana, you'll get in a little bit of trouble. You might also get a little bit of trouble if they can smell some, you know, what is it, steak sauce or some sort of animal cooking, some sort of flesh cooking inside of a a room. I agree. And also, it's important to, you know, so what I do when I go to a hotel is I put the do not disturb thing on the door right away. Now, whether I'm cooking in there or not, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think that all maids are untrustworthy. I think I, I feel like I've even said this on this podcast before. I don't feel like all maids are untrustworthy, but everywhere I've worked, there's been one untrustworthy person, right? And I don't want that person digging around in my room while I'm there. So I always put the do not disturb on there. And um, and then when I leave, I clean up pretty well. I also have respect for maids. I don't want a maid to come in after I've been in there for four days and just just hang her head like, oh, I have to clean up this moron's mess. Like I clean up pretty well. I put my towels in a pile. I make sure to clean up my trash. I put them in the trash cans and I leave a tip. Uh, depending on how long I've been there, I'll leave 10, 20 bucks just for the maid, because, you know, I'm not trying to uh, say, oh, look how good I am. I'm trying to say this so that other people will do this, too. If we all were tipping just a little bit more everywhere we went, I feel like people just in general would just be happier, you know. Uh, now, that being said, if I go to a restaurant and I get bad service, I am not into it because I'm all about tipping. I think tipping is great. It's important. We should tip well. But if you're not giving me good service and you're rude to me, you do not deserve a tip. And and I, I won't stiff people. I'll still tip because it's ingrained in me. But you just you just can't be rude and expect that I'm supposed to tip you well, you know? Mm-hmm. And then also uh, just cashiers running a cash register. Uh, I don't feel like that if you work at Starbucks, no offense to my Starbucks employee friends, but 
If I go in and I order a regular coffee, you ring it in, you turn around, you fill that cup up, then you turn back around and hand it to me. I don't know why I'm giving you a tip. Now, if you're making me, if I'm going in and I'm like, let me get a venti latte with uh, soy milk and a splash of uh, extra shot and some ginger. I don't know what people get in there. I never order one of those. But if I'm ordering it that intense, yes, I should be tipping you. Interesting. Interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, actually, I, but I feel like sp- Starbucks is probably the only place that I do tip because I don't like I don't tend to have a ton of cash on me at any given time. And usually, if I've been somewhere for a whole weekend, I have spent up all my cash. And it's and it's I should tip more maids. I just usually forget and or yeah. at this point I've gotten out of the habit of doing it because I don't have a twenty on me. I don't have a ten bucks. I'm not going to go to a debit machine. Yeah, take out money. I mean, right. wh- wh- What am I compassionate? I'm not going to do something like that. But I don't know how many people are tipping at hotels. I know that your dad did when he was here. And, and I think I, you should. I think that a lot of people probably are honestly. I, I don't know how many people are doing it, but just imagine even ten bucks, five bucks. Imagine if everybody was doing that. The maid's uh, mood would be improved. It can't be that fun to be a maid. I mean, it, I don't think it's the worst thing, but it can't be that fun. Well, but imagine every room you're going into, there's like, oh, here's some money. By the end of the day, you're like, you're feeling yeah. good until you know, until you come to expect it, and then and then yeah, then it becomes. Well, I mean, that kind of makes me think about. Um, giving money to homeless people in general because something happened to me actually when I was in Kansas City and it makes me think of you because you're very generous with with uh you know like providing for people on the street or whatever and I always want to but I feel like when I'm by myself I'm like more scared to give people money because it's usually a guy and then I'm just like a little bit hesitant to to open up to a homeless person because it's like a guy, you know? And and when I was in Kansas city, it was at night and I uh, was going to go just down to the restaurant and get some food. And the second I stepped out of my hotel room, uh, presumably a homeless man ran up to me like right away. And he's like, Hey, do you have money? And I was just so scared of him because he kind of accosted me that I was like, ah, no, I'm sorry, but I did, I did have money. And I just kind of like, real weirdly kind of skirted away and then he kind of was following me so i changed uh so i changed the side of the sidewalk but he was still on the other sidewalk and then it just sucked you know because like my whole walk there and my whole walk back to the hotel i was like oh man i'm about to get knifed because i didn't just give this guy some money yeah i think it's all about the approach right because i mean if you're just running up being like do you have money it's like no of course i don't have money you know but I think that, uh, you know, that's why I like Nashville. Like, people actually stand on the street corner and sell the newspapers. And, uh, you know, you can buy a newspaper and uh, give them a little extra money. And it's uh, and then you can, you know, they're actually doing a thing. But I don't like to open my wallet to people on the street. Yeah. You know what I mean? You feel a lot more vulnerable when you're not in your yes, car, for yeah. sure. I don't want to just open my wallet to someone standing out on the street. Yeah. I'm not into it. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, and it's not to say that, you know, because sometimes people are in a hard place. And, uh, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'd like to think that if I'm one day out on the street bumming money, uh, that there will be someone there to give me some money so that I could get some food. This conversation has made me feel bad about not tipping uh, maids in hotels, and I'm going to well, start doing. That. You don't don't feel bad. I mean, because it's like I actually didn't know that you did that. Well, I just I don't do it every time, but sometimes I'm, I'm feeling good. You know what I mean? But I think the thing about tipping is that when once tipping becomes expected, 
then you're no longer, it's no longer out of generosity. Mm -hmm. It's now out of obligation. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're giving without uh, a generous heart, then what's the point? You know what I mean? It's like, because like, honestly, 10 bucks, it's not changing anyone's life. It's a nice thing when they come in to clean the room, they go, oh, this dude left me 10 bucks. That's great. I really appreciate that, you know? But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe everybody's tipping and maids are coming in being like, what? Only $10. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who knows? But, all right. So that's a good time. We had a good time. Addison, Texas, just to change it up. We've been talking about this for a while. Uh, Addison, Texas, uh, they said that at one point that it had more restaurants per square mile than New York City. And as I walked up and down the street, it was just chain restaurant after chain restaurant. They said that for a while they would put a chain restaurant there, the first one, just to see if it would make it. And if it would make it, then they would franchise it out to the wow, rest of the country. Wow, so it was like ground zero for fast food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, I'll tell you where Hooters has fallen uh, because— uh, In the titty department? Yes, this is what I'll tell you. It's It's— because the feature that I was working with uh, was 23, and there was a Hooters and a Buffalo Wild Wing right next to my hotel. And I thought, well, both of these pick places will be showing sports. We wanted to watch the playoff games. And I said to him, I said, do you want to go to Hooters or do you want to go to Buffalo Wild Wing? And he said, Buffalo Wild Wing. And I feel like that means Hooters has really fallen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You mean the caliber of women. I just think, in general, people just aren't into that as much anymore. Yeah. It seems like a relic from the 80s and 90s. I just feel like it's not like, it's almost like weird that women are like, I got a job here because I'm supposed to have big boobs. I'm 25. This sounds like a good idea. Right. All right. So now our advice to comic section. You are what you are. I'm going to make them an awful again with you. I don't know what you're talking about. Are you ready? I'm ready. We got a an email from a person asking us about... Um, uh, I'd actually like to pull the email up. Yeah, let's get that email pulled up. I'd like to pull it up so that I can read exactly what it says. It pull it says, up and pull it out. It says... Pull it up and we'll whip it out. Can you and Hannah talk about being nervous the first time you guys did stand-up and what helped you get over the nerves? So I thought that this is not an easy answer necessarily that uh, you can just say, I did this and this helped. Uh, And I think that it's different for everyone. So I thought that me and Hannah could just discuss this right now. So if you had to answer this question, Hannah, um, let's start with the first one. Can you talk about the nerves the first time that you did stand-up or even doing stand-up continuously? Mm -hmm. What's your nerves like? What are my nerves like? You know, the first thing I think of is, you know, to a certain extent, I get a little nervous for every show and some shows more than others. So I would say don't be afraid of the nerves because you can transform those nerves hopefully into adrenaline on stage and you can really be rocking you know i think like nerves is a natural reaction to the job that we do i mean you you know you're getting paid you want to do a good job and then you you know you also don't know what's ahead of you it's like a big question mark like how's this show gonna go so i would say you know accept how you feel and Stay focused. Do whatever you need to do to stay focused. Right. You know, walk around. You can get that energy and blood flowing. I mean, all when you're feeling alive before a show, I think that that's good. 
Yeah, I agree. Because I think that if you're not a bit nervous, then you don't care about it. Yeah. Because nerves, to me, are coming from a place where I care about. Like when I did, uh, you know, any of the late night. The most nervous that I've been in a long time was doing these late night things. And I wasn't nervous because uh, I didn't know the material. I mean, I knew those jokes very well. I was just nervous because I really cared about it and I wanted it to go well. So to me, I think being super prepared is the way to go. If, you're, if you've never done comedy before, let's take it from this place. If you've never done comedy before and you want to go up and you want to do stand-up, but you're nervous about it, I would say the thing to do is, for one, be prepared. Don't write down on your set list like, oh, I'm going to talk about – I'm going to talk about the time I went to the store and had a funny interaction. Know what you're going to say. Write that story down and know what you're going to say. And I would say know where you expect people to laugh. And then when you hit that point, give it a pause. And if they don't laugh, then you know that that's not funny. And then you can rewrite that. But if you just run through this weird story that you have in your head and no one laughs, you don't know if they're not laughing because you didn't hit the right parts or you didn't pause in the right places. Does this make sense? Yeah. Then, you know, you just have to trust your material. You have to go. And then I think another thing that comes into play with nerves is you feel like this is me personally. uh, Along my journey, I felt like there's and I still feel like that when I go to a new city that I've never been to. I feel like there's going to be people in the audience that that don't like me. Uh, They're like, they're not into my jokes. They don't like me as a person. So I get nervous about that. Like, like they're going to go, go back to Alabama, you know, something like that. And so that makes me nervous. But I think the way to get over that is just, you know, you're just doing enough comedy to where you, um, you realize, hey, most people in the audience aren't going to dislike you. All they want is to laugh. So just go up with funny material. And if you have some things that you think is offensive or slightly offensive, don't open with that. You know what I mean? Like I would say don't do it at all. But uh, but people, some people like to do offensive comedy. So I would say just save it for the middle of your set. Wait till the audience gets to know you and likes you. Yeah. And this person who emailed us sort of sounds like a brand new comic. So Let's just say they haven't done stand up at all yet and they're really they want to try it but they're really nervous to try it. What would we say to them if if they're just so nervous and it's their first time? I would say nothing makes you stronger as a person than overcoming something like that. Yeah. Because each time that you do something that makes you uncomfortable uh but you do it, you become stronger. Every time. Mm -hmm. So if you go up and you're really nervous, even if your set doesn't go well, you've now done something that you were really afraid of. And so you've overcame that fear and now you're a bit stronger. So now first step out of the way, I will not say, I, I do not agree that the hardest part is getting up there. People always say that. Well, the hardest part's getting up there. I do not agree. It's hard. It's hard to break that ice and get into it because it was very hard for me. I mean, the first few times I did stand up was incredibly nerve wracking for me. I had a, I had a, I mean, I was never uncomfortable speaking in front of people, but for some reason, this whole idea of getting up with these jokes, 
uh, was hard for me. But once I got laughs, I became immediately more comfortable and I, I liked it. But it still took me a long time to get to the place that I'm at now where I'm actually having fun being on stage. I mean, it was there was a long period where I wasn't necessarily having fun on stage. I just enjoyed going up and being funny, and then I felt good after the show. Yeah, one of the most paradoxical advice I ever got and what I used to find was so patronizing is when, you know, you'd be in the green room and you're about to go up and someone's like, hey, just have fun. It's like, do you know what this job is? Just have fun? Like, yeah, okay, easier said than done. Just have fun. Oh, that's what I tell you all the time. I know. I hate that advice because it's like you can't manufacture having a good time. You either want to be up there and get weird and have fun or you're like, oh, man, I really want to do a good job. I mean, I I think I suffer from perfectionism more than you, and I think it really uh, stops me from having a good time while I'm doing this job. Yeah, I think that if you're not having fun doing it, then you have to find a job that you have fun doing. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm looking through the classifieds. <laughs> because, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what is the point? I mean, I don't mean that you have to have a blast every job that you do, every time, every day. But if you don't have fun doing it, then why are you doing it? Yeah, you know what a, I mean? That's a powerful question and one that I meditate on every day. So I think that um, also, you know, a few other things that help you get over the nerves. I think one, being prepared. Just being, knowing what you're going to say when you go up there. Also, if you're new, take some notes. That way, if you if you forget your next line, you have the notes to refer to. Don't read off the paper. Don't read the joke off the paper because if you read it off the paper, one, it says you don't know it as well. And two, it's not going to go as well. And jokes never work as well when you're reading them off paper. So you're not going to get the reaction that you were hoping to get, even if it's a hilarious joke. It also messes your momentum, but you right. know, there's a lot of people who do that, who always have their notebook. And I think, uh, I mean, I guess it's not fair for me to judge them as that's their crutch, but I do think it, it, it to me, it's like, usually if someone has a notebook, they're facing the audience telling their joke and then they turn their body away from the audience, refer to their notebook that's on the stool, right? or they have to look down. So I feel like every time you're sort of closing yourself off to the audience and you're also uh, obstructing your own momentum. This, and so me personally, I don't see how that's helpful, but some people seem to love it. This is what I like to do when I do an open mic and I'm trying a bunch of new jokes. I write, I, I know I, I write the, the, the bullet points down of those jokes on a little sheet of paper that I can hold in my hand. And then I, and then I know those jokes. Now I don't, I don't have them so written out because I'm working on them. I'm trying them out. But I have an idea of what I'm going to say. So I pull out the paper in my hand, and I look at it, and I know the next joke. And then I put the paper down, and then I tell the joke. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So then each, and then once that joke's over, I look at the paper, and I pull out the next one. Now, as you do this more, you get confident. But do your jokes that you know are going to work after you've done comedy a couple of times. Do the jokes that you know are going to work at the top so you get some laughs right away. You want to start with a laugh because... And and that's why I say don't start with the offensive joke. Don't, if, especially if you've never done comedy, don't go up and try to make fun of the host either. Do that when you later in comedy. But and if you can't start with a laugh, go for a guffaw or a chuckle yeah. or a reverent clap. Yes, yes. Try to start with some sort of reaction. And I would say too, stay away from controversial things, especially early on. Just. 
you know, your job is to to be funny. Now, you know, there's a lot of comics that people can see on TV and they go, well, they're talking about politics. They're talking about social justice. And it's like, yeah, but they've established an audience already. Your job right now is just to make people laugh. So just go up with something funny. Don't go up with a joke about the president that everyone's told for the last two years. Be original. Talk about yourself. Tell personal stories about yourself and about your family. Or do a joke about the Secretary of State. You know, mix it up if you're going to do a political <laughs> right, joke. Right, Yes, exactly. Do some hack presidential joke. What about the Ministry of the Interior? Right. I haven't heard anything about Dan lately. Right. Or uh, watch YouTube video on what the... Uh, like Canadian political arguments look like. I watched something like that the other day with Trudeau and then the conservative party arguing. And then they had like a kind of a judge looking figure setting up on a tall throne. It's very, very interesting. It's, a, it's called our house of commons. That's yeah. Our Cause par- that's our parliament. Cause I'd like to play this clip now because uh, Matt Price made us a new clip because Hannah is from Canada. That's a good time. Thanks, Matt Price, for that. Always hooking it up. Now, so do you think, do you feel like we've addressed this issue? Yeah. Also, there's a, a an essential oil called patchouli, and it's very relaxing. I put a little of that on my neck, a little bit on the mustache right under my nose. That way I can breathe that in. It's very relaxing, very calming. They say a lot of actors and actresses use that to calm down before going on stage. Yeah, and uh, you know, we we've been going out and about and we'll we'll go into say a Starbucks or some sort of uh, you know, place and they'll be like, "Oh, you smell good." Yeah, people love patchouli. And they're like, "Are we getting hit on right now?" Yeah. So I'm trying to People love make a patchouli. Some happen because people are telling us we smelling good. And I'll be like, "Yeah." So I hope right. that helps. And also anybody yeah. else listening, uh, you know, if you have further questions on nerves, uh, Please email them to us, uh, dustyslaycomedy at gmail.com. Please send that to me. Also, any other questions, because we want to do an advice to comic segment every podcast, but sometimes we're running out of stuff. We don't know, you know, what to do, and we, we feel like we repeat ourselves. So This is a podcast for the people. We want to hear from the people. That's right. So specific questions we're all about, dustyslaycomedy at gmail.com. And, um, and, and, and we'll, we'll answer to the best of our ability. I mean, sometimes our answers may be a bit rambling and it may not make a lot of sense, but, but we're trying because sometimes there's not a real answer to it. Everybody handles things differently, but I know specifically this last time, this, the late night show that I did when I did the tonight show, I was in the back and I was so nervous. And when they called my name and that curtain opened, that nervousness turned to adrenaline, and I was in the zone. Now, I could only be in that zone because I, and, and these jokes I've done a lot of times, but I changed these jokes slightly to do them on The Tonight Show. So I also was battling old muscle memory, where I was like, sometimes what happens to me on stage is that I know a joke so well that I may even black out, but I'm still able to say the joke. 
So I had to make sure that that wasn't what I was doing. I had to stay focused. I had to be in the material, be in the moment, live the joke, and know I got to say it this way, this time, and I got to hit it here. I got to hit it here. This is where I laugh. This is where I wave. This is where I pause. You got to know what you're doing. And don't be afraid to rehearse. Rehearse in the car on the way to the open mic. Rehearse in the mirror on the way. I never like to do the mirror. I don't like that. I don't like looking at myself while I'm trying to tell the joke. But I used to do my my entire album, Making That Fudge. It's 55 minutes. When I was on road trips, I would do that, preparing to record that album, I would do that album from beginning to end in the car. The whole album by myself, no interruptions. I would do 55 minutes. One time I drove to Atlanta, four-hour drive. I did that. I did it twice in the car. That's before you had a long-distance girlfriend to call in the car. Right. But, I mean, there, there, there is nothing like, nothing helps you practice a joke like just saying it out loud. And sometimes before you get to an open mic, if you've said the joke out loud one time before, you'll already realize that what you're about to say is not funny. You'll go, oh, that didn't even make... Because sometimes writing it down is way different than saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. I can write stuff and I go, this is hilarious. And then I say it out loud and I'm like, oh, that doesn't even have a good flow. It doesn't feel good. I think writing a good joke is a bit like writing a poem or writing a song. It needs a flow. It needs a word economy. Try to say as few words as possible to get to the punchline. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think so. Beautiful. All right, so where we've been, where we're going. Where they going? Where they been? Where they going? Where, where they been? Where we're going, where we've been. All right. It's always a good time. It's always a good time. Hannah, where were you? All right, so this past weekend, I was in Northwest Arkansas, NWA. At the Grove, at the Grove, and I was with a very funny gentleman, Ryan Neemiller. Ryan Neemiller's great. Yeah, we had a good time. We uh, last week when I was telling where you where you were going, I blanked on Ryan's name, and I uh, felt bad. But Ryan's great. I've worked with him several times. Very funny. Yeah, we had a good time, and we stayed in the comedy condo, which was a little cabin in the woods in the Ozarks. I suppose they would call it. And Ryan drove home after the show on Saturday, and so I was the only one in the cabin in the woods, and I got real scared uh, by myself. And so what I did, I went into the kitchen, I looked for some sort of knife, Yeah. Um, but then they didn't really have any sharp knives, they just had a really weak kind of butter knife. So I brought that into my room and put it there beside my bed, and then I barricaded as much as I could the house. I, I put furniture in front of the doors, I put little kind of jingly things on the on the uh, windows so I could hear if someone was intruding. And then I locked my bedroom door and I barricaded it with different kinds of furniture because I was not get, going down in northwest Arkansas. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did that. Yeah, me too. I'm sure the cabin's very, very safe or, or Bill wouldn't put us up in the cabin, but... Only takes one murder. That's right. I am a big fan of a knife in the room. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of it because... You're like, if nothing else, it's your last line of defense. And, you know, if a robber may come in and they may be very aggressive and they be be able to wrestle the knife out of your hand, but you're going to have to wrestle that knife out of my hand yeah. or I'm going to, I'm going to jab you. Yeah. You I'm, told me the last thing you said to me on the phone was if someone breaks in, cut him in the throat. Yeah. I mean, if someone breaks into that room to harm you, you go for the throat. That's oh, yeah. what I'm saying. Go for the throat or the testes. Right. Because they're trying to hurt you. 
Mm-hmm. And the only way to stop someone trying to hurt you is to hurt them. I mean, people don't, probably don't know this about me, but I'm fierce. I know you are. I will kick the shit out of you if I can. I know Man you are. Man or woman, I'm not afraid. Very fierce. Well, I'm actually really afraid, but I will still go after you. Also, like we just said about nerves, fear can be turned into adrenaline as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just imagine you're set like a, a cold-blooded a murderer coming after you. Yeah. And you got to, the only way for you to survive is for you to hit those jokes at right at the right spot. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, uh, and then I was in, um, oh, you also, you did, uh, you did, uh, New Year's cause you haven't been here. Since no, but New I kind of briefly talked about but catfish. Yeah, you did then. Jimmy Pardo, the catfish, yeah. uh, casino. Catfish yeah, that was cool. Casino. There was like seven or 800 people there. Um, it was in this big, uh, room in a casino Yeah, and, uh, it was definitely the nicest casino I've ever played. The room was really nice. It had really, it had like a spa and, uh, the casino world is crazy out there. It's crazy how many casinos are out there. There is a lot of casinos. All right. So this weekend, I was in uh, Dallas, Texas, North Dallas, and Addison at the Addison Improv. I had never been there, never done comedy in Texas before. This was my first weekend there, and I had a blast. I had a lot of people come that had seen me uh, on The Tonight Show and people that had signed up for my email list online. If you haven't done that, go to DustySlay.com. Go to my calendar page, and I have a sign-up thing where you can sign up for my email. And then when I'm coming to a town near you, I'll email you and let you know I'm coming. And that's the best way to find out where I'm doing shows because I'm, I'm, I'm doing that every week, and I love doing that. I feel like that's a good way for us to stay in contact. And I had a great time. I had a lot of people come that, that, that were fans, and I, I was just uh, you know happy to see it, uh, very happy. It was such a great time. Uh, I took pictures with people, and uh, I did uh, six shows, and it was just a blast. I loved it. I had never been, and um, I did some radio out there, and uh, I just— I can see you really enjoying Texas. Yeah, I just had a good time. I worked with CJ Starr, and I worked with Grady Pruitt. CJ uh, hosted— uh, and you've also featured for CJ at Chattanooga. Yes. At the Comedy Catch. CJ is a great dude. Yeah. And then um, I, Grady Pruitt was a feature out of Houston. And we just had a great time. I felt like the shows were all really good. And uh, even on Saturday, the Dallas Cowboys were in the playoffs. And they were playing at the exact same time as both of my shows. Mm-hmm. And we still had a good turnout. So I was very excited to see that. Mm-hmm. And shout and you out. You know that you're by athletics so you know you're open to enjoying a yeah. little bit of a Cowboys fan. Shout out to people that uh that were um given that yeah, I that were um water? That were giving me uh that 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 came to the show that were fans and that were uh, I wanted to give a shout out to uh um some people that came because um uh, it's Inga. Inga and her sons. Uh, I just want to, they, they say they listen to the podcast, they listen to my CDs, they listen to all my stuff. And I just really appreciated it. And I wanted to say thank you to them. And there were other people as well. And uh, I just forgot to write the names down. And I just, um, I, I feel bad that now I've, 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 I've listed someone. And then uh, there was, um, um, oh, Robin. It was Robin as well. She is a John Christ fan, 
and has also came. And then Aaron Weber, uh, his uh, my friend Aaron Weber, who's been on the podcast, his sister came, and they brought quite a few people, and I appreciate them. I appreciate everyone that came, and if I didn't mention you, very sorry, but I want you to know that I appreciate you. And uh, And now... Where we're going. Okay, I'm going to the Cary Theater in Cary, North Carolina this January 12th. That's a Saturday evening, and that show's going to be at 8 p.m. And uh, I am headlining that show. It is a clean show for 60 Minutes by Hannah Hogan. <laughs> I, I hope that it gets videotaped because I'd love to see Hannah doing 60 minutes of clean comedy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'd love to see how much fun she's having. (laughs) Well, luckily I am trained in the art of improv and charm. So, If you want to see what Hannah Hannah deals with nervousness, go to Carrie Theater. (laughs) Visit her in the green room. Uh, (laughs) And she'll be with Brent Blakeney, uh, who I've done shows with. He travels with John Reap a lot, and uh, that'll be a good time. Uh, And I will be... This, I'm, I got the weekend off, but I'm this Sunday I'm going to be at Zany's. I'm going to do the Comedy at the Yazoo show, which is a local showcase, uh, but it should be a good time. Uh, I just asked to be on that because I'm in town this weekend. But then on Wednesday, I'm flying to Toronto to go on the road with Burt Kreischer. Uh, uh, okay. Which is very exciting. I'm going to do... Uh, so I'll do Toronto on the 16th at the Danforth Music Hall, and then on the 17th, again in Toronto at the Danforth Music Hall. On the 18th, I'll be doing uh, Centerpoint in Ottawa. Uh, the 19th, I'll do the Egyptian Room at Old National Theater in Indianapolis. Uh, and the 20th, I'll do uh, the pageant at St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. So I'll be doing all those shows. All those are on my uh, website, DustySlay.com. I'd love to see you guys out there. And uh, I I know that uh, I love doing crackers in Indianapolis, and I haven't been there in a while. I'm hoping to get that set up because I'd love to come back. I really love that club. I've had a couple people reach out to me about when am I coming back there. And I I definitely want to be back there in 2019 because I love coming there. I've been going to crackers for a lot of years. And I like it a lot. I hope to. But how cool is it that you are on the road with Burt Kreischer? Very exciting. I am very excited to be on the road. I did shows with Burt in Lexington, Kentucky a while back, and we had a great time. And I'm happy to be asked to go on the road with him. I love that you turned Burt into two syllables. What did I say? You're like, Burt. (laughs) Burt. Bert. <laughs> well, I like to. Your enunciation is powerful. Yeah, I like to. I like to have a powerful enunciation. You do. You do. And, uh, but yeah, I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be a great time. And uh, I've been waiting to announce it, even though now that I'm announcing it, it doesn't seem as a, a big, uh, like, I don't feel like I really gave it the big explosion that I would like to have given it. But uh, Well, I'm excited for you to be in Toronto. And, and I'm excited because you're familiar with Toronto. You know, you, you know the vibe of Canada yeah, a little maybe bit. Maybe I get to go to Sushi on Blue or have a little sushi. Yeah. Maybe hang out with your brother, Jake. Yeah, maybe, I think my brother's going to come out to some shows, maybe some cousins and some uncles. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that's very... Very, I got very some family fun. in Ottawa as well. So it's going to be exciting. And I, uh, rumor has it that uh, you know I'll fly to Toronto and then I'll ride on the tour bus with them from Toronto to Ottawa to Indianapolis to 
St. Louis. That's fun. That's a fun trip. You're gonna you're gonna experience a lot. You're gonna learn some lessons, and you're gonna you're gonna grow as a person. I can just I can feel it. Well, I hope so. I love personal growth. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm yeah. all about a personal growth yeah. and life lessons. I like a personal growth too. Oh yeah. All right. So I that, like your personal growth. Thank you. You know what I mean. That okay? Yeah. Right. We're getting wild though. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, okay. And now. Husband and wife do a podcast. And now, uh, our next. Do we want to do this? I say we just cut it up. Now let's talk about it for a minute. (sighs) Hannah was, uh, well, every, I I love country music and Hannah was in Kansas city and someone was talking to her about country music and Hannah doesn't claim to be really much of a country music fan. But as this girl was talking to her about country music, Hannah realized that she actually knows quite a bit about country music. Yeah. Pretty much through osmosis of being with Dusty for however many years, uh, you know, you just start to be familiar with you know Conway Twitty and uh, oh. and Merle Haggard and uh, the various juniors of the Hanks. Oh, and, and speaking of that, I now can talk about it because it's on their website. But on February 9th, I'm going to do comedy at the Grand Old Opry. That, I was dancing to that while you were doing that. Oh, that was yeah. very good. That was Hannah's electric banjo. And, uh, yeah, and so I'll be doing comedy at the Grand Old Opry, and uh, that's very exciting for me because I love country. I love country music. Actually, Tracy Lawrence is going to be on the show as well, which I'm very excited about. Wow. Tracy Lawrence, if you don't know Tracy Lawrence, I don't. I, one day I'd like to put out a list of country songs that I think people that are not necessarily country fans should go and listen to. But if you never listen to Tracy Lawrence, he has a song called Time Marches On. And it came out in the 90s. And I remember I was in middle school and we loved listening to that song, me and my buddy. Time Marches On is a really good song. It tells the story of a family and that, you know, that just uh, the, the time, as time marches on, changes happen in the family. And uh, I think it's very fun. Personal growth. Personal growth. Actually, the Tracy Lawrence Greatest Hits album, I would recommend to anyone. I think he has a lot of solid songs. Very original sounding voice. My darling, you have so many fun things coming up. Burt Kreischer, Grand Old Opry. Yeah. A lot of stuff's happening. Me and Hannah just picked up an, a nice corporate gig here in, in, in Nashville oh, uh, yeah. in the coming week. It's, uh, it amazes me that this might be a little bit off color, but you know, I never really... I, I was never, no one would ever accuse me of, you know, sleeping up the ladder. Uh, but somehow I managed to do that with you, and it astounds me every day. Yeah. Because this was not on purpose. Not that I didn't believe in you, but I was like, well, I'm just going down to Tennessee for the rest of my life, I suppose. Yeah. But and, turns uh, out you're successful. <laughs> yeah, and so far, TV show update. I mean, speaking of that, I mean, it's things are still going. It's still happening. Things are still going well, and uh, everybody seems to be happy. I mean, you know, again, as I always say, I don't know why I like to bring a downer into it, but I guess it could get cut off at any point. But right now, it's still going well, Yeah. and I'm very excited. And uh, I'm excited, too. Still waiting for that birthday present, though. Yeah, you're yeah. doing pretty well for uh, for no well, no no birthday Brian present. Brian Bates, beloved. just so everyone knows, Brian Bates texted me about you saying that hmm. and said you should probably get her a present. She sounds pretty upset about huh. it. And I was like, I said to him, she's fine, and uh, she is fine. Mm. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, so you know, I got her a present one time that she never wears. I got her another. It's a here's an MP3 player that I got her one time a present that she doesn't use. I just like to rag on you, and uh, you know, I get her. But I, but to be fair, in my defense, I get you presents all the time. I get uncalled you, for. Yeah, I get. You, I just bring. I bring you home gifts. I get you presents too that you don't use. And, uh, you know, I brought, when I was in Montreal, I brought you back a mug and I brought you back some magnets. This magnet. <laughs> oh, t- my man, he got me magnets and he got she, me a mug so I can be drinking up out of that mug. She is always. You don't think your husband loves you? Well, my husband got me a mug and some magnets. <laughs> Mag- maggots, magnets, and maggots. She asks for magnets all the time, and I get her these souvenir magnets. Yeah, because I like to put, put up pictures of us. I bought us her a book the to other day. To celebrate our love. I actually bought her a book the other day that it's not even came in the mail yet. It's coming. You bought me a book? And uh, You bought me a book? And uh, yeah, and I, I didn't know that. I also got her a credit card that she just gets to buy herself whatever she'd like with. Oh uh, yeah. No, I mean I am just playing. I don't so. I don't ask for much except for daily devotional um reminders of my beauty and your love for me. That's yeah. really all I need. Is those those reminders of my beauty and your yeah. love to me. Yeah. That's so. all I need. I don't need presents. <laughs> I just so. need to be felt like you're not gonna leave me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and also, I have a show in Nashville on January 30th, Dusty Slade's Grand Old Comedy Show. It's coming back on January 30th. I got some uh, exciting people out of Chicago. I have Kristen Toomey that's going to do the show. I'm very excited about that. And Ryan Niemiller that right. we mentioned, mentioned is going to do the show. I like that. Uh, and there will be other people on the show as well, but but come out, see those people, see the show. I'll have some. I'll have one or two fresh, hot new jokes And uh, and I think that's going to do it. That's it, baby. My name's Dusty Slay. I'm Hannah Hogan. And this is We're We're Having Having a a Good Good Time Time Podcast. Podcast. Check us out at DustySlay.com, at DustySlay, Twitter, Instagram, at Miss Hannah Hogan, Twitter, Instagram, and HannahHoganComedy.com. Thank you. We're having a good time. (laughs) 